And as we jump into this, we're in this season of Advent that we've already uh, thought about. And I always used to think that Advent was basically the time getting ready for Christmas, rather than it being actually a time, a kind of key season. And you all know in some Christian traditions, they really go big on Advent, because Advent is all about waiting, waiting where the ancient people of God were waiting for generations for the Messiah. And so today we remember that period of waiting when what we long for is not yet here. And of course, we building up to the coming of Christ. But it's that time where wherever what we're waiting for in life, whatever it may be, it's a time in which we are asking God to say, God, can we wait well? Can our hope be in you, not the thing? And so as we begin, we're going to read together some words from Psalm 130 as a way of setting ourselves up as we think about this subject of simplicity. So I'll read the words not in bold, and if we all out loud read the words in bold together. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there's forgiveness, so that we can, with reverence, serve you. I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. (laughs) I wait for the Lord, more than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem us from all our sins. So as we continue this series called Living Life Well, when we think about what it is to have lives that are well lived, this is appropriate as we get towards Christmas that we're looking at simplicity. And as I begin, I want to ask you a question. If this is a spectrum of life, where are you? Would you say that your life is complex or simple? Where would you mark yourself? Would you say, life is pretty simple for me at the moment? Or would you say, actually, life is quite complex? Or maybe you'd put yourself in the middle. I'm going to ask you to be brave, just with the people around you. Where would you mark yourself? You don't have to explain why. Where would you mark yourself? Is your life simple or complex? Go for it. Just where you are, around where you are, one or two. Where are you on that spectrum? (laughs) Only one group to be brave. Anyone who said their life was simple at that end of the spectrum, would you put your hands up, please? Go on, that's fine, that's fine. Okay. Guys, look around. They're the ones we need to go to later on, (laughs) around a cup of coffee, to ask them what the secret is. Uh, As uh, somebody said to me, their life is about near where the Christmas tree is, uh, (laughs) in terms of complexity. We live in a society in which there is a huge desire for simplicity. And it's a big deal at the moment. We try and sell products on the basis of it. Simple soap. It sells fashion. This great quote from Coco Chanel, simplicity is the keynote of all true elegance. To technology, you'll remember, 
if you're a bit of an Apple geek, you'll remember Johnny Ive using the framework of simplicity about what they try to do at Apple. To principles more generally of design, simplicity being key, to mass movements all around the world trying to live lives more simple, in a more simple way. There is a desire in our complex contemporary world where we are bombarded with information and opportunity for simplicity. It's estimated that we make 60,000 decisions per day. Of course, a lot of those are intuitive that we've grown up to develop, but that's a lot of things buzzing around our brains. Or think about spending. This Christmas, it's estimated, last Christmas should I say, the average adult in the UK spent £390.56 pence on gifts last Christmas. More stuff, more stuff, more stuff. We fill our lives with things, with opportunities, with information and stuff. There's no surprise, therefore, that on a marketing website that I read the other day in preparation for this, they said that what's becoming very clear with all the research is that people are looking for an antidote to this orgy of excess. What a great quote. Because if we're willing to peel back the facade for just a moment, many of us, our lives are a bit like this. Where we have so much going on that our brains are just trying to navigate simply as simple as we can because of the overwhelming stress and burden and opportunity that we face. And when we think of living lives of simplicity, for many of us it is a million miles away from our reality. So do speak to those who put their hands up at the end. So how do we move towards a life of simplicity and what do we actually mean by it? Richard Foster, a great writer on some of these things, says this, great summary of what simplicity is. It is an inward reality that results in an outward lifestyle. So simple lives are not just things we do, they're actually internal. Something has happened inside that means we choose and we make our lives more simple. The problem, if you like, is within. So how do we get there? And the Bible describes one key word to help all of us wherever we put ourselves on the spectrum. It is this word. The word contentment. Finding contentment in life is the key. And there's an opposite to that in our society in this word. Consumerism. We live in a society in which we are consumers, and consumerism is the heart of the human problem. Think about the original story way back at the beginning of the Bible. You've got Adam and Eve, and what are they given? They're given everything with one restriction. So what do they want? The one thing they haven't got. More. I need more. I need this in my life to be fully human. 
to be fulfilled, whatever the this is, whether it be the fruit of the tree or whether it be other things, consuming the heart of the human problem. That all of us easily live lives wanting something more, something other, something that we don't have. Whether that thing is a partner, is a job, is a different house, is a better bank balance, is a child, is a particular product for this Christmas. Whatever the more is, life is not fulfilled until we have this. We are not content. More. More. And so when we get to Paul's words, he says some startling words in the book of Philippians. This is what he says. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And I think there's something really encouraging within that. The first thing is this. It's not our default position. He had to learn it. So for those of us who aren't content, Paul would say, yeah, I know what it's like. So the Bible sits with us saying that longing for whatever it is, it may be a really good thing. That is very, very normal. But there's something else, do you notice? It can be learned. It can be. So that we can, like Paul say, in any situation, regardless of whether I get that thing or not, I'm content, says Paul. And so in the passage that we read, as Paul writes to his friend Timothy, there's six brief things, and they are brief. Okay, they are brief. I know time's racing. 12 minutes, six things in 12 minutes, two minutes each. Six ways that we might be content. Six tricks, six little things to help us to find contentment in life. Whatever that more is. And of course, Paul is particularly talking about money, and we'll use that in this consumerist time of year. The first thing is this. Delight in the giver more than the gift. Do you notice what Paul said when we read it earlier? Godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. In other words, everything that we have is not from us. There's a giver, the God of the heavens. And delight in him rather than the stuff he gives. You think of that story that Jesus told about the prodigal son. You've got a father with two sons, one of whom basically says, Dad, I wish you were dead. Can I have your money now? And he goes off on a bender, wastes it all. Then he comes back realizing, and then the older brother, who's never left, then kicks off because the father welcomes the other son back. Do you notice what the story's really about? The younger son wants the gifts, not the giver. Dad, I want your stuff. I wish you were out of the way. He wants the gifts, not the giver. But the older son, the apparent good boy, wants the gifts more than the giver. He's not content with being in the father's house. He wants more stuff. Both are the same thing. Gift over giver. Whereas the giver himself gives his all for them both. Contentment is found in... Elevating the giver more than the gift. 
Second thing is this. How to find contentment? To recognize that less really is more. That design principle. Listen to verse 8 of what Paul says. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. That word clothing probably means shelter, covering. In other words, if you've got the things you really need, that's cool. Less is more. And can I share something personal for a moment? Many of you all know we've got twin boys, uh, eight-year-olds, Caleb and Noah, and many will know that Caleb has some quite complex disabilities. And one of the things that Caleb teaches us as a family and teaches other people is about this contentment. He will never care one iota about what he looks like. He doesn't care at all about whether his hair's all over the place, he's got bed hair, little bits in his eyes, doesn't care if he's wearing boys' shoes, girls' shoes, whatever it is. As long as he has food and shelter and care, he's content. Less is more. And yet in our society, we're so about consuming more. Well, maybe, just maybe, people like Caleb teach us what it really means to be human. Less is more. It's the second thing. Elevate the giver rather than the gift. Know that less really is more. The third thing is this. third way to find contentment is to recognize that the gain is not worth the pain it costs to get it. Listen again to Paul's words to Timothy about people who want more. These are startling words in our society. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Do you see that? He talks about trap. Harmful, ruin, destruction, piercing themselves, grief, and just wanting to get rich does that. The desire for more damages us, says Paul. The gain that you get is not worth the pain it does to you. It eats you up, says Paul. And can I just say in passing here, There may be some of us in this room who have kind of bought into a view of the Bible or a view of God that if you're just praying in the right way, believing the right things, then you'll be wealthy, healthy, and all will be sweet. A sort of prosperity type view. And can I say that I think Paul would have questions about that. Because if in that the desire is for the stuff God gives or may give, Paul would say, you've elevated someone above God, which only damages you. The gain is not worth the pain, friends. Contentment is the key. So that's the third thing. So, elevate the giver rather than the gift. Less really is more. The gain is not worth the pain that it does to you, desiring more, more, more. Uh, The fourth thing is this. Enjoy what you do have. 
Listen to Paul's words, verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in the wealth, which is so uncertain, they let you down, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Interesting words. I don't know if anyone knows where this is in the world. Anyone know? Is that of interest? This is the furthest western point of Europe. They're called the Skelligs, just off the west coast of Ireland. Uh, and uh, a few years ago, when Claire and I got married, we went to Ireland for our honeymoon, and we took a little boat trip out to these islands. And if you're into Star Wars, they've been featured in one of the recent Star Wars films. Anyway, they're kind of UN sites and all that sort of stuff. But what's interesting about them is on one of them lives loads of puffins, <laughs> and on the other one, there is this. I don't know if you can see it from the, this, the picture on the screen. It's a monastery that was established in sort of five, six hundred, in which a group of six monks at a time would go across in their tiny, tiny little boats 12 miles out to sea and base themselves there for years at a time and grow fruit and veg, take a couple of animals with them and live there as monks. And what's even more fascinating, I don't know if you can see right at the top, just one step down, there's a kind of flat bit. Do you see that bit? That's called the hermitage, where one monk at a time would go for two years on his own and live up there with just the sea to look out from, out to. And they did this to escape the world with all its lures and temptations. Now, I think you can listen to those guys and say, that's admirable, absolutely. That kind of, wow, what a commitment. But I think sometimes some of us have forgotten what Paul says about God giving us good things. Let me read again to you. Put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. I think there's a sort of contemporary version of those monks within the church, which is that money and stuff are evil. That's not what the Bible teaches. It's the desire for more that will damage you. It's not the things themselves. God gives things for our enjoyment. And so, friends, enjoy them. Enjoy the sweets. They're all 374 of them. You don't need to feel a burden of guilt about good gifts. A father may give good gifts, and so enjoy them. And friends, if you've got an idea that you sort of, I'm not necessarily sure that's biblical. And this came to my mind a few years ago, when I noticed both within myself and other people, the comments, when somebody would say, oh, I really like your coat, the response would be, yeah, I got it half price. It made me to think, well, I didn't ask how much it cost. I just said it was nice. And it was almost as if we've got this sort of inner, hmm, coat's awful. Rather than saying, actually, God gives good things, enjoy the gifts that he has given to you. Be free. That's the pathway to contentment. But for those who say, whoa, 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 whoa. 
that leads us on to our fifth point. How to be content is to recognize that giving is great gain. So he may have given you good gifts, but do share them. Listen to what he says. Verse 18. Command them to do good. That's those who have wealth. To be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they'll lay up treasure for themselves. It is good for you to give. Not just for the person who receives. So those good gifts that you're enjoying, why don't you let other people into the enjoyment as well? It's good for you. Because in that process, we begin to teach ourselves that this thing, whatever the thing is, is not God. It's simply a thing given by God. And therefore, giving is a way to find contentment, to be generous with what we do have to those around us. Sharing and giving away is good for you. That's all good. That's all helpful. But there's a final thing that Paul would have to say to us. We remember that inward change. What is it that enables that to happen? These are sensible things, good things. But there's something even deeper that Paul would say that makes the inward change that makes all of this possible, that means in a society where billions are spent over the next few weeks, that we realize those good things may be really good gifts, but they themselves are not where we find fulfillment in life. And this is what Paul would say. Remember the big picture? Listen again to his words. Command those who are rich in this world to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they'll lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. That's the inward change. Moving from the desire for all these things, good though they may be, to realize those good things aren't where life really is found. Life, true life, is found in all eternity with the one who gave his all for you and me. So that for all eternity we are with the giver of life himself. That's true life. And living for that changes everything about how we view things now. And maybe, just maybe, we might live more simpler lives now. In this time of Advent, as we wait, longing, we begin to question what we're waiting for. And friends, as we think about who we might invite to discover the life that really is life, it changes everything. Simplicity. May we be people who live lives of contentment in what we've give, been given, the gift of Jesus Christ himself. So should we stand together? Please stand. As we come to a close, I'm going to welcome the band back up. We are going to respond together, praying together the Lord's Prayer. And we're going to pray this as it were, as a way of saying, God, with our lives, we want your kingdom to be first. Give us our daily bread, 
not our daily Ferrari or whatever it may be we're longing for. Give us what we need, Lord, and not more. We trust you for yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, yours is the glory.